What's up everybody, it's Dan Greer with Leading from the Middle of the Pack and today we're going to be talking about setbacks and how utilizing those setbacks for to be good in your life and how they can be good. And uh, you might be wondering like how this deals with leadership, well we're going to get to that in just a minute. Alright, keep the theme song, we'll be right back. The big question is this, how are leaders like us, who aren't necessarily in a management position, who go out and get our hands dirty? who are ready to answer their calling from God to lead, who are driven to learn and grow, gain the trust and respect of those around us, to actually be heard while not coming across as an authoritative prick. These are the questions, and this is the podcast that will give you the answers. Hi, my name is Dan Greer, and welcome to Leading from the Middle of the Pack. So glad you guys are still here. Well, today we're going to be chatting a little bit about like why setbacks are a good thing. And um, one of the things that I believe in with all of my heart is that everything happens for a reason. And Tony Robbins says that everything happens for us, not to us. And that's kind of the same thing as everything happens for a reason. And what he means by that when he says everything happens for us is that everything happens for a reason. It's all in how we look at it. If we look at something that goes wrong in our lives that we see as going wrong, it's happening for us, not to us. It's it's happening for us because it's supposed to help us grow. It's supposed to help us make that next step in life. It's supposed to help us get to that next threshold, that next um, whatever, or it's making it stronger so that we can handle something else in the future. They're not setbacks, they're setups, right? So everything that happens doesn't necessarily need to be a setback to us if it's bad. And that's, a lot of this is mentality, a lot of it's mindset, a lot of it's figuring out how to work through these programs and and how to reprogram yourself to where you see everything happens for a reason, number one. And number two, you don't see it as a setback, you see it as a setup for something in the future. And, you know, there's a few things that, that go along these lines here is why setbacks are good. And one is this because sometimes we need to reevaluate, right? When something goes wrong, when something doesn't go as I expected or suspected to within my business or within my relationships or within anything, I like to take a step back and reevaluate the situation. Is there a chance that I missed something? Is there a chance that I'm not looking at something the right way. Is there an opportunity that something's going to go wrong in the future? Let me, let me, can I tell you guys a story real quick? So a couple years ago, we were actually looking to buy in like three different companies. We had three companies approach us and be like, Hey, you're killing it in your space. We're wanting to sell out. Are you interested in buying us? And so I started going through the process of it. Well, I didn't know much about what these companies were doing. I mean, I, I, we were in the same realm, but they were doing something completely different than what we were doing. And their services would tie to ours, and it would be very complimentary, and it would really help us to grow. But, but well, it would add to our bottom line and top line. It wasn't really going to like be. It wasn't going to double our income or make us exponentially richer or anything like that. It was going to help us kind of um, level out, and we could scale that business up with us. But those businesses up with us, and it would allow us to expand into this new new market. Well, I didn't know anything about it. So I started to find this. I, I found somebody that I could work with that I knew who was in the industry. And I was like, hey, do you want to partner on this? I don't want to partner on the whole company. I only want to partner on this one little bit. Are you interested in partnering in it? And uh, we chatted about it. And we went back and forth for like probably three months on this. And, um, and I was excited to be partnering with him. And he was excited to be partnering with me on this. And we uh, went in and created a new partnership uh, with, within the state, and then 
I, we were working on getting funding. We had gone through the initial rounds to get funding for that kind of stuff, to get, to get approved for a loan so that we could go and, and acquire these other businesses. And then it was like, I, I don't know, it was like November, and he just fell off the face of the earth. Well, I knew he was going through some personal issues, so I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. That's the kind of person I am, but he literally fell off the face of the earth. He started avoiding my phone calls. He started, he would answer other calls, but he wouldn't answer my calls. Um, and so <laughs> it's kind of crazy as it sounds to make sure that he was okay. I had one of my people uh, call him from his personal cell phone just to make sure that everything was okay and chat with him because um, I wanted to make sure that he was okay because I cared about this guy. And... Uh, and anyways, what I didn't see was the end result of what was going to come from that. Well, that put such a bad taste in my mouth. I was like, man, I'm so glad we didn't actually partner with this guy and go through and take out debt on these companies because he was supposed to be the one running them and I was going to give him oversight and he was going to be like the general manager of the companies. And uh, I was so glad that we didn't do that. Because in the end, it would have been such a detrimental mistake, not only for me, but for my family, for my other business, for those businesses, because he like literally went to Mexico for a month and just broke off all communication with like everybody, period, because of some personal things that were going on in his life. Well, long story short, I'm a very forgiving guy. Um, I would never partner with him in business again, <laughs> ever. I would never even consider it. I'm not that, I'm not that, that's ignorant. That's not forgiving. That would be uh, stupidity when somebody ghosts you like that to go back into business with them or to consider going into business with them. But I was, I had two options um, when this happened, right? One, I could be super upset about the situation and I could say, man, we were on a track, we were going forward, we were going to do this and I could be really upset about it. The other option I could do is I could say that, hey, this setback is actually a good thing. It's making me look at, at the situation. It allowed me to reevaluate whether we really wanted to move forward, whether I wanted to move forward with these businesses or whether I was doing it because I had somebody who could run the businesses, even though they weren't actually going to make money at the prices they wanted to sell them for. And so it allowed me to reevaluate everything. And that was a really good option for me at the time because I needed that point in reevaluation. I need to go through and do that. Well, fast forward, like I said, I'm a forgiving guy. I don't forget, but I forget. I forgive. And um, about a year later, almost a year later, I'm in talks with this same guy again and his business partner and uh, that he's, he's in business. He was, he was, he's no longer in the business. It's, it's a long story, but anyways, he was in business with this other person and, um, and I was, I had a lunch meeting with him and I was like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do. And I'm not looking for a partner. I'm looking to bring on somebody to work for our company to help us grow it and help us get in the right spot who can run it. Somebody who can be the face of it. I'll be an attractive character. I need somebody who can step in and run the, the operation side of it and grow it and expound it and make it awesome. And I need somebody who's dedicated to it. And with this, I would 100% be willing to buy the company that you have outright from you. I don't want anything to do with partnering. I've already been down that path. I'm not interested in that. I just want to buy it. And with that, I will buy all of your employees. And I will buy you, too, to come on and work into this company. And you'll get a salary from us. And we will grow this and expand it. It's going to be phenomenal. Well, um, 
<laughs> After that lunch, we had a good conversation, and it wasn't what they wanted. They really wanted, um, he really wanted to partner, and he wanted to be a part owner in something that was bigger than what he was, and I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to put my company, which makes 5x the revenue of what these other companies make, on the line in a partnership with somebody that I don't necessarily trust. Well, I followed my gut, and I said, well, if that's what you want to do, then we're not going to partner. We're not going to be going that direction. Like, I'm always looking for great people to partner with on options and ventures because, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and it definitely wasn't built by one person. If you want to build something magnificent and spectacular, you've got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone and do things you're not comfortable with and work with people who have that knowledge. And I'm always looking for the right person to partner with in a growth opportunity because I know the skills that I have and I, I have to have faith in the skills that somebody else has. Anyways, I digress. My point is, is that <laughs> three days after that meeting, I got a call from one of our current customers because we, we are kind of in a partnership. Like we use his services for us uh, for, for what we were doing, we were using the services and I got a letter, I got a call from one of the people who, uh, they, we sold their services through our business to them and they utilized our services. And I, I got an email from him that's like, Hey, what's going on with this? And he had undercut us and went to all of our shared customers and sent them an email directly saying that they were no longer going to be billing through us. They were going to bill it directly to them, and they were going to be collecting all the money to them, no longer to us, and then we would pay him. And I was like, well, you just bit the hand that fed you because I was paying you every month on time for everything that was going on, and now you get to deal with collecting instead of from one person from 100 people. Well, it's 100% up to you. But anyways, so again, I was so grateful that I didn't partner. So grateful that I didn't bring him on because I got to see his true colors and what he was. And so it wasn't a setback, even though we didn't buy those companies, even though I really wanted to buy them at the time, it wasn't a setback that he fell off the face of the earth and ignored me. It wasn't a setback as to what had happened. It was actually a setup. It was a setup for success because again, the first time it allowed me to reevaluate the businesses and were they really what I wanted and were they really selling at the right price? And were we really going to be moving in the right direction to help them grow? Or was I going to divide my, my, my attention because I was still going to have to run it, right? And, and all that other stuff that comes with that. So that's one way that a setback has been a good thing for me in the end. Um, another way that it's been a really good thing for me is when I was getting my pilot's license. So as you all probably know by now, if you follow me on social media, I love to fly. I love to get people. I love to get places fast. That's why I fly. <laughs> I I uh, I've always loved traveling my entire life. If you go back and follow me, I've always loved traveling. I've always loved going places. Jenna and I have loaded up the kids and gone multiple places all the time. Matter of fact, as I record this, I'm sitting in Denver. Um, well, outside of Denver, in a little town called Lyman. Actually, it's Deer Trail. But we're, we're only a half hour from Lyman. And my son is hunting. My oldest son is hunting. He's old enough to go hunting on his own. And he's out hunting for pronghorn on his own. But he's like, Dad, I really don't want to go by myself. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I could totally use a business trip where I've got four days of solid work with no distractions from anybody else. I'll go with you. So we rented a vacation rental. We're up here. And uh, I am busting stuff out left and right. You're going to see a ton of stuff. Um, that comes from being recorded while I'm here or blogs that are written that are here. Like we're literally going to, my plan is, is to bust out a 
ton of stuff while I'm here. My point of this is, is that I love to travel and I, and I, I get distracted pretty easily. But, um, when I was, th- that's the reason why I first started getting my pilot's license is because I wanted to be able to get places faster with my whole family. I knew that it took me 12 and a half hours to drive to San Diego or I could fly there in four in my plane if I bought a plane, right? So like I'm sitting there doing all the math and I'm figuring all that out. And, and I, and I figured out that I could get places way faster. And so I, I got the gift of time back in my life if I got my pilot's license. So I started getting it. Man, I went up the very first time and it was rough weather. It was, it was a spring day the first time I went up and it was rough. And like, I was not comfortable in a plane. I was comfortable in a plane, but I wasn't comfortable flying a plane. And I went out twice in the same day with two different instructors and it set me back big time. Well, I waited a whole nother year. It was, I did that in like March. And then in December, my oldest son was like, man, dad, I'd really love a flying lesson. So for Christmas, we gave him a discovery flight. We bought him a discovery flight. We went down, we got in and I asked the guy, I was like, can I ride with you? He's like, yep, sure. And so I got in the bag and I loved flying. I loved seeing it. I loved what we were doing. I loved where we were going. I loved looking at the view. I loved everything about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try it again. And so I got back behind the sticks again and I started flying. I, and I did it like once a week for a while. And then I got to where I was doing it twice a week. And then you know, I, I was I was to the point where I should have just went and got my single engine license. Had I continued down the road that I was on, it would have cost me considerably less than what I did. But I didn't know that at the time, right? So I went out and I started looking for a twin engine plane. I'm like, okay, hey, twin engines, they're twice as reliable. They go twice as fast. They burn twice as much fuel, but you get there in half the time. And and they're, they have more capacity. I can haul six people in a twin engine very easily for the most part. And so I started looking for twin engines. And I could find twin engines cheaper than I could find single engines at the time, depending on the twin engine you bought. So I started looking, and I went, and I put the cart ahead of the horse. And I found a plane in Denver, and I went and looked at it. And we didn't buy that plane. I probably could have. It probably would have been a great plane. But we didn't fly it because I hadn't been flying regularly. And then uh, I found another one in California, and I flew out commercially with a guy, and we checked it out, and we flew it home. And I bought that plane, and it was awesome. I love it. I still have that plane right now to the day as we record this. And it's so much fun to fly. But I didn't have a pilot's license. So I've got this plane. It's sitting there. It's doing nothing. I can't fly it. I don't have a license. I don't have a single-engine license, let alone a multi-engine license, right? So it's it's a setback, right? I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking about the future. I'm ready to go. And I asked the guy, I asked my instructor, because he's the one who went out there with me. I was like, hey, if we get this, do you think I'll be good to go in a month? And he goes, yeah, I can totally have you ready to go in a month. Well, he had a few things happen and he had things come up and he didn't make me a priority and we were not ready to go in a month. And so instead of flying somewhere where I wanted to fly for a family trip, we ended up driving. <sighs> what a setback. But it wasn't a setback. It was a setup. Because I figured out that I wanted to fly even more. The whole ride down there, I was like, man, we could have been there in an hour and a half <laughs> instead of eight hours, right? We could have been there an hour, 40 minutes, if that's depending on what it is, right? Like, we could have been there a lot faster had we been able to fly. That didn't stop me from moving forward when we didn't hit that first goal. I set another goal, and I said, okay, in another month, do you think we can get there? And he said, yeah, I can totally have you there in a month. Well... Right before the end of that month, he hadn't signed off on me as solo yet to fly the plane by myself. Like, I was all but there. I mean, all but there. I was there, and he wouldn't sign off on it. And it, I saw it at the time as this huge setback because I've had this plane now for like three months. I've been flying it off and on. 
but I haven't been able to fly it by myself ever. And I wanted to be able to fly it by myself. And I wanted to be able to take my family and use this tool that we bought, but I couldn't. Well, the thing is, is looking back on it now, I didn't respect that twin engine plane. I didn't respect the power it had. I didn't respect how big a trouble you could get in or how fast you could get into trouble with it if you didn't know what you were doing. Because we're talking about going from a single engine, non-turbo plane that flies 85 miles an hour, maybe, maybe 100 with a tailwind, right? You might be able to push it up to 95 miles an hour if you're really pushing hard to a plane that doesn't take off until you hit 85 miles an hour. Like, I don't rotate in my plane until I hit 85. And rotate is where you pull back on the sticks to take off. Huge, huge difference in the planes. And I was not respectful of that. And God knew that I wasn't respecting it. And he's like, okay, Dan, you need another setback. So you can truly respect this instead of just setting goals and trying to get through this. And I was like, okay. Well, so what happened was I went for a lesson on a Monday. And on a Tuesday... <laughs> I, no, I went for a lesson on Tuesday. I'm sorry, forgive me. I went for a lesson on a Tuesday, and Wednesday morning, I'm cruising to go see some customers, and I'm supposed to go back and take another lesson Thursday, and I've already blocked out my schedule for like two weeks worth of flying, and I'm good to go, and I've, you, I don't know if you've ever ran a business, but when you block out your schedule, you block it out. like You make it happen, and it's a lot to block out a schedule. Well, I've done that for these next lessons for the next three weeks. So Wednesday, I'm cruising to go see this client, and he calls me, he's like, you got a second to talk? I was like, sure, I got a second to talk. He says, uh, yeah, I'm no longer gonna instruct anymore. I'm just gonna fly commercially for other people. And I was like, wait, I helped you get your CFI, I helped you get your, your flight instructor certificate in a twin using my plane, like I helped you get that. And he says, yeah, I know, but I'm just done instructing. And I was like, are you, are you, what can I do to talk you out of this? Well, I couldn't do anything. I tried everything. I tried all the tricks in the books that I knew. I went through every single thing in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I could get nothing out of this guy. He wouldn't budge. It was meant to be. And here, I got super upset at the situation. I went into a deep depression because now I had no option I called everybody around that same day. I started calling everybody who was an instructor, and I couldn't find anybody at all who would do multi-engine instruction or had time to in the area. I'll take it back. I found one guy, and he's like, yeah, I can get you next week. I was like, score. I'll be there. I'll work my schedule around it, and then he had to cancel. <laughs> and then finally, he calls me, and he's like, yeah, I'm just not going to get you in. I'm like, okay, I get it. Whatever. I don't care. So anyways... <laughs> I started looking around, and finally, I pivoted, and I was like, okay, well, I found 100 schools that can get me in in a week. I can get my multi-engine if I have a single-engine certificate. So I'll go, get, I'll go back. I'll get my single-engine certificate, and then I'll go from there. Well, I had all the hours. All I had to do was get somebody to sign off on me so I could go take my test. So I went and I found a guy and we started flying together and he did not see dollar signs. He wanted to see that I was competent and I was capable of flying. Well, it had been a while since I'd flown. It had been over a month since I'd flown. And then when I got in the plane, I was a little rough. I was a little scratchy. So we, instead of like going at it and just doing and, and going to town, we spent some time doing maneuvers and getting used to stuff and getting ready for the check ride because he doesn't like to set people up for failure. He wants to set them up for success. Well, I appreciate that. And so I went through and I probably spent an extra $3,000 working with him to get through this process and this program. And I got through it and I went and I took my single engine check ride. 
Well, the day after I took my check ride, or maybe it was that afternoon, I started calling some of the multi-engine places to get on their schedule, and they were all out two or three months. And I was like, man, live, this this stinks. Like, I'm living in, like, the middle of November, middle of December, January for some of these guys to get in through a one-week program. And so I kept calling around. I didn't give up. Again, I could have saw this as a huge setback. I could have been like, well, nobody can get me in. But instead, I saw it as a setup. So I, I'm working through this process, and I'm calling, and I'm calling, and I'm calling, and I find a place in Montana, and the guy's super excited. He's like, yeah, I can probably get you in in three weeks. Perfect. I'm all about it. Three weeks is perfect. I'm hooked up to the end of this month anyway, so three weeks, four weeks, I'm, I'm all about it. He never called me back. <laughs> so luckily, by now, I know not to trust people. So I kept calling other people. And I finally got in with like four different places. And I was like, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pencil me in. Don't write me a pen. Pencil me in. Get, tell me when you can get me in next. And so I scheduled like four different appointment dates with four different places. I know you're probably thinking, you're like, Dan, I hate people like this. They schedule an appointment and they cancel. Or they never let you know. Well, I tell you what, I let everybody know and I canceled like four weeks in advance. But I wanted to be on their schedule because things were filling up really fast. I wanted to make sure what was going to work with mine. Well, I found somebody that could get me in in like three and a half weeks. And it actually fit perfectly with my schedule because I had, I was supposed to be in Ohio the week before. So like every week of September and the beginning of October and the end of October were booked. I had like one week in October that I could go. And I was willing to go anywhere. I would have flown to New York for this. I would have flown to California. I would have gone anywhere to get this because I wanted to be able to use our plane. Well, so they called me. And they, well, I, I called them. And it was uh, D&L Aviation in Florida. Great instructors. Great places. Absolutely loved them. They were right outside of uh, Orlando. Anyway, so, so they got me set up. I was able to get in there. Things were going really good. I got the initial payment done. We're going through all that stuff. And, uh, and I get down there and I start training and training's going really good. I was there five, four days of training. Um, the first day we were going to do my high performance, uh, because they didn't have a high performance twin, which is perfectly good. So I did high performance in single engine, got that endorsement. And then I went to uh, multi-engine. So the twin engine airplane, and I started training in it that afternoon. Well, I had this awesome instructor. Her name was Amber. She was absolutely phenomenal. We get up in the twin. We start flying around. I've never flown in Florida before. Never done anything like that. We're doing really great. Things are going really good. We're doing all these exercises. We're busting through them. No problems at all on any of them. And uh, we land. Things are going good. Well, then, <laughs> here comes the setback. Things go good all week. And on Tuesday, I come in. And the lady at the front desk looks at me, and she's one of the owners of the company. And uh, I can't remember her name for the life of me. She looks at me, and she says, Dan, your tester canceled. He's sicker than a dog, and he says he can't do any tests this week. And I was like, okay, so what do we do? How do we fix it? How do we get there? I'm willing to do anything. What does it take? She goes, well, we've done a ton of calling. We've only got one instructor. He costs a little bit more, and it's about a 45-minute flight from here. I said, done. I'll pay the time of the plane. I'll pay the extra money to the instructor. If you can set him up, done. I am all about it. I appreciate you guys working through this and helping me because I come from Colorado. I'm in Florida. I could come back down, but it's going to cost me another couple thousand dollars. I really don't want to do that, but I'm willing to, okay? So we pivoted. Again, that setback turned into a setup, and I'm going to tell you how it turned into a setup. Okay, so the day of the, the, day of the test, we're cruising out there. We cruise out to the airport. We do some maneuvers. We're having fun. We're enjoying it. I'm supposed to do the test in the afternoon, show up. I get there early. 
I'm prepared. I'm kind of, you know, walking around doing some stuff, checking it all out. We land the plane. The instructor shows up, and he is the corporate pilot for the New York Yankees. Super cool guy. Chill. Absolutely awesome. And um, we connect and hit it off right away. I have a great conversation with him. We're getting going. We go through the oral part. I don't even have to open my book. He asks me questions that I know the answers to. Everything's going good. I've got things figured out. I had to do a little bit of research during the oral part. We get up in the air. We start flying. We go do everything. All these maneuvers are going great. They're all going flawlessly. We go do our landings, and I'm, like, scared to death of the short field landing. It's where you got to put the plane down on the 1,000-footers. If you touch it, 1,000-footers are the big white lines on the runway, the first ones that you see. Um, actually, they're not the first ones. It's the, they're one on each side. There's two of them, and they're a thousand feet long. Anyways, you, you, <laughs> you got it for the short field landing. You got to touch there, and that's one. That's one exercise I've been struggling with the whole time. And uh, and we go in for a landing, and I land, and I touch like right at the edge of them. If I would have been like a foot before him, I would have failed. But I touched like right on him, and he's like, "That was beautiful. Good job." And <laughs> and then. Again, another opportunity for a setback that turned into a setup. We flew to a different airport to do all these exercises on that I had never landed at. And it worked out perfectly because instead of having a crossed wind, a wind blowing across against you, it was a wind that was blowing right into us. So it was beautiful, beautiful for landings and takeoffs. Again, it could have been a setback, but I chose to see it as a setup because... Had I landed into a crosswind, I may not have hit those 1,000-footers. Had I landed into a crosswind, I may have had more issues. But I had the perfect weather for landings because he took me to an airport I'd never been to before. Scared to death. Thought it could have been a setback, but it ended up being a setup. All right. So then we're getting ready to go back to the airport where, where my instructor is and where we started at. And we're cruising back there, and I'm getting I, – I make all my calls to the tower. We're doing really good. We go there. We get ready to land. And I get in the pattern. And, and I put my gear down because it has a complex gear. So the gear goes up, the gear goes down. So I put my gear down and I look up and I'm supposed to have three green lights, no reds. I look over, I see one of the nose. Uh, there's a little mirror you can look at and see if there's one a wheel down in the nose. So I, I do my thing, we're flying, and I put my gear lever down and I'm like, okay, three greens, no red, one of the nose. And I look at it again and I'm setting up for landing, I'm going through my whole thing, and then I look down again, and there's not three green lights. There's only two. Well, that means that one of my landing gears is not down all the way. Yeah. Right? Never had this problem before. Could have been a huge setback. Huge, huge setback, right? But instead, I started going through all the emergency procedures. I went ahead and I put the gear back up. I put the gear back down. I checked the lights. Nothing changed. No light would work in there, nothing like gears. There's a bunch of different things to do. I went through it all. I got on my checklist. I went through the checklist. I went ahead and called Tower. I was like, hey, I've got, I'm supposed to have three green lights in here. I've only got two. I'm not sure if my landing gear is locked into place. We're going to go ahead. Is it all right if we fly straight and continue to go through our checklist for a little bit? And they said, yeah. Okay, so we went through our checklist. They said, just call us when you're ready to come back in. So I went through all the checklists, and the dude, I thought maybe he was messing with me. Because he's an instructor, it's a test. I'm like, okay, are you seeing if I can do this? And I looked over at him, and now I see the look on his face. And he's not, like, stressed, but he's stressed, right? And so I look over at him, and I can see that he's like, okay. And so he starts fiddling with the lights, and he starts playing with it after I do all my stuff. And he goes, I think you're right. I'm not sure that that gear is down. What are we going to do? And I was like, well, do you want to go through the checklist? Because I've already done it, and you're an experienced pilot. And I know this is a test, and you're probably not supposed to do this, but... I really don't want to put this plane down with two landing gears. 
with two wheels down if we can avoid it, you know, and, you know, if you can help me with this, I would really appreciate it. And he's like, that is the perfect answer. You didn't demand that I did something. You didn't give up. You asked if I could help. And so he went through everything. He did everything again, just like I did. And he's like, okay, I don't think the gear is not down. He says, I think the gear is down because the plane is not trying to pull from side to side. And he went through a bunch of stuff that I just listened to him and learned and soaked it in. So this could have been a huge, huge setback. One gear's not down. Oh my God, I'm going to fail my test. What am I going to do? I'm down here. I spent all this money. There's no other testers. I can't do anything else. The other guy that can potentially test me tomorrow is sick as a dog. Right? Like I could have saw this as a huge setback, but instead it was a huge setup. I got the chance to learn from a corporate pilot who flies jets for the New York Yankees. Like I got to absorb what he was doing in this situation and how calm and cool he was. So he called Tower and he's like, hey guys, uh, can we do a flyby and will you check out our gear and see if it's down? And uh, they were like, yeah, we'll check it out. So we did a flyby, we got down really low, flew right by the ground, tipped the wheels up toward him a little bit as we flew by. They checked it out. They, uh, they said, man, it looks like all three wheels are down. You're clear for landing once you circle around and come back. He said, okay. So I'm, I'm flying this whole time, right? And he's like, and he goes, okay, put it down. Which, make sure your seatbelt's on super tight in case that gear collapses, because they said it's down. In case it collapses, put it on tight. So okay. So we both cinched up our seatbelts as tight as we can. <laughs> and, uh, and I go, I make all my loop around. I'm getting ready to come in. And I mean, I'm sure that he's praying. I'm praying like nothing else as we come in here because it could have been a huge setback, but it was a setup. And as we come in for a landing, okay, we come in and it was the gentlest, most softest landing I've ever done in my life. To that point, I've done better ones since then. But to that point, it had been so soft, so smooth, so controlled. I touched down, I kissed the ground. I put the front nose down. We slowed down before we made a corner. We turned in. We got out, we checked it, we inspected it, we got ready to go. We figured out that it was just a sensor that, that wasn't making contact. The wheel was locked into place, but there's a sensor that wasn't making contact. And so what we decided was, was that we could fly the plane home. We just wouldn't put the landing gear up. We would fly with it down the whole time. Again, another setup, not a setback. So I passed my pilot's exam. I get my multi-engine license. I'm cruising home. We're flying back to the airport where, we're gonna, where we started from. Uh, where I did all my training at. We get in there, we go to land, it's night, I'm landing at night, it's kind of crazy, haven't landed at night in a little while. Put the plane down, put it down beautifully, there's a good crosswind, but it, it was a beautiful landing. Went and put it in the hangar, and it all went well. But do you see how many setbacks I could have had on that journey? I had, I had so many setbacks that actually gave me new respect for the machine and gave me what I needed. I gained so much experience. Had I not had to go to Florida for that week's worth of training, that landing, I, I would have never gotten the experience of flying in Florida and doing all the crosswinds and the different runways and different airports and different areas. I wouldn't have felt as comfortable going to someplace different. Had I not had a different tester because mine got sick, that landing gear might not have gotten stuck. Or it might have gotten stuck and the new tester wouldn't have been as easy about it to be like, yeah, you've done everything within your power. Thanks for asking for help. He might have been like, nope, you're failed. We got equipment failure. You're done. Had I not been dropped by that first 
instructor that I helped him get his instructor's license for, I never would have went to California and never would have gotten to California, Florida, and never would have got any of that experience down there. Had I not got my single engine license, I might not have been as prepared for the test ride as I should have been because my single engine test ride was atrocious. And I made sure I was extra prepared for the multi-engine check ride. Had I not done any of this, like, do you see how everything happened and it all happened for a reason? And I could have totally, as soon as the first time I got canceled from a lesson, been like, yep, this sucks. I'm out. Sell the plane. Get out of here. And I, I debated selling the plane once or twice. My point is, is that setbacks aren't necessarily a bad thing in life. They're actually good and they're setups. If you look at it correctly, if you look at it as everything happens for a reason, you're not going to have setbacks. You're going to have setups, and your setups are going to be phenomenal. They're going to be awesome because guess what? They're going to set you up for success in the future. And that's why setbacks aren't a setback. That's why they're set up because everything you're going through today is for a reason. It's either going to help you be more prepared. It's either going to help you be on the right page. It's either going to help you... Be ready for what's coming down the peak that you don't even know about yet. So don't look at something when it goes wrong as a setback. Look at it as a setup. That's what the real leaders of the world do. They don't see problems. They only see learning opportunities. They don't see failures. They see the opportunity for growth. All right, guys, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, Dan Greer leading from the middle of the pack. I would love for you to share this episode. If you shared this and tagged it with me on any one of our platforms, I'm on Instagram. It's at the real Dan Greer. I'm on Facebook. If you look for Daniel Greer, I'm on there. I'm on LinkedIn. Check out Clips or Daniel Greer on LinkedIn. I'm there as well. I'd love for you to share it. I'd love for you to give me a shout out. Tag me in and I'll give you shout out in the comments. Who knows, mind to share your post. It'd be pretty cool, huh? Take a screenshot of it, take a selfie, take wherever you're at, take a picture of you. Do And then also do this. Share your aha moments from this. Share what you enjoy from. And on top of that, here's what I want to say is that get out there. Don't be afraid to set up. Be prepared for the setup that's coming right after it. And that setup is going to set you up for what's coming later in life and it's going to make you feel it. Alright guys, hope you have a great day. We'll chat soon.